Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody, uh, from the beautiful city, the Bavarian city of Munich, on a very warm late summer, early fall day in early September. We're at the DLD Circular Conference. And one of the keynote speakers was a man I've admired for many years, Ian Golden. He's a professor uh, at Oxford, and he has a brand new book out, Age of the City, Why Our Future Will Be Won or Lost Together. Ian, congratulations on the new book. Does this connect, though, with circularity? We've done many books and conversations about the city. Why is this also a book about the environment, the circular economy? Well, thanks very much for um, chatting to me about this. Uh, Age of the City uh, is about how we're going to be together in the future, mostly in cities, most of the world's population will be in cities, and how we're either going to win the great battles we face against climate change, pandemics, growing inequality, uh, and many others in cities or not. It's about circularity in a number of respects. The first, of, of course, that cities are defined by a bad circularity, concentric rings of suburbs, of people coming from distant places into central business districts to work. And that's been big, in many ways disrupted uh, by the pandemic. Uh, and so now cities, the inner core of cities, uh, are under threat and we're seeing this most visibly in San Francisco which is really going through a crisis in the inner core. So there's a sense of circular in con the concentric circles but the future very much lies in creating smaller village-like communities within cities, mixed residential and office, converting some of the offices which are not now full uh, to residential and having entertainment uh, nearby as well. So the idea of a 15-minute city, the idea of being able to walk and cycle around is at the heart of what we're arguing for in this book. And actually we think that the old model of working and living at great distance and relying on cars often or public transport systems to get from one to the other is something we need to rethink in quite a fundamental way for the future. So that is about circular economy. It's also about turning parking lots uh, into vertical farms. It's about ensuring that much more of what we need is recycled, uh, that we're not consuming as much product, uh, and in ensuring also that we're much more circular in the way we think about connecting with our neighbors and our communities, but not in a cocoon sense. Because if we're going to survive in the future, it requires that we link up with people elsewhere and we're worried about their uh, problems too. So we're not going to survive by building high walls around a cocoon city. And uh, We argue very strongly in the book that how we link our own communities to those of others is a big part of the story. I want to come back to this idea of the cocoon, uh, Ian, later in the conversation. You suggest that's not the way forward, uh, but some species have survived and indeed prospered within cocoons. So what is it about our as humans that uh, makes us not suited to cocoons. But let's get to that later. You mentioned San Francisco as the model 
for how cities don't work. That's where I'm from. What's gone wrong in San Francisco, uh, in your view? Why has San Francisco become the model for uh, urbanists of dysfunctionality? Well, San Francisco is very sadly going through a major crisis. The Central Business District, which used to be only you know five years ago a thriving center, is now uh, largely abandoned by people, a lot of homeless people. Some of the iconic new tower blocks like the Salesforce building and, and others uh, are being vacated. Uh, and so uh, the finances of the city are declining and it's in a vicious downward spiral where people aren't coming in, they feel unsafe, they're working remotely, the offices are empty, the income of the city's declined dramatically, it's therefore able to invest less in social services, in policing and others, and therefore the services decline and less people want to come in. And when you're in that downward spiral, uh, I hope it is able to escape it, uh, you really see how cities' fortunes can reverse and how what used to be thought of as the absolute hub of creativity uh, can become a hub of desperation. Have you been there recently? I haven't. I haven't been there since the pandemic. Well, why do you think it's become then the pin-up? Because as a resident, I'm not convinced actually of that narrative. It seems as if in some ways San Francisco might be the future as a kind of post-feudal city. Part of it, part of it, you're right, is broken. Part of it is enormously depressing. But part of it is thriving. There are parts of the city that are, are very vibrant. Why can't that be a model? Some parts work, some don't. Because, I mean, it, it is obviously uh, thriving in many areas and house prices uh, are as unaffordable as they have been in the past and people want to be in other areas and not least access to Silicon Valley. Uh, the, the Bay Area is doing well as a whole. But I think we need to worry when we have very, very divided cities. Uh, certainly the municipal finances of San Francisco we need to worry about uh, because they are not sustainable, therefore the public transport system is not sustainable uh, and we need to I think care about our communities so this is not healthy for any city when you have a part of it which has a desperate problem. So yes, uh, we can live in bubbles in the suburbs or in, in other neighborhoods but I think we need to care very much if a core part, and it is a core part of the central business district, uh, is going through a crisis. Ian, yeah, aren't all the great cities, though, by definition, divided? In your keynote, you talked about uh, Renaissance Florence, a city enormously divided between the wealthy and the poor. Same is true of, of 19th century uh, Paris, for example, or 20th century London. Don't cities get their vitality, their colour? from disunion, from, uh, from inequality, from profound diversity, not the kind of diversity that people talk about in the universities these days? Well, I think diversity is the source of innovation and creativity, and it's people from different backgrounds, migrant backgrounds, uh, different perspectives in cities that do create that vibrancy. But I would strongly contest the idea that somehow it more inequality is good for cities. Uh, I think that uh, is not borne out. In fact, what we're seeing in many cities is, of course, that they're not forces for progress. 
their forces, their centers of anger and desperation because people are unemployed, uh, people can't afford housing. Um, and what we see in many cities is support for very strong nationalist, protectionist and right-wing movements. Uh, we've seen this in the past, we've seen this in Germany's past, we're sitting in Germany uh, today. Uh, we've seen it in, in other places. So unless we really believe that that is a good thing, I think we need to worry about growing inequality within cities. I think we need to make cities more affordable certainly welcoming diversity, but income diversity in itself beyond a certain level uh, is I think extremely dangerous and when you have this extreme wealth and extreme poverty in cities, I think it's a powerful cocktail and when people feel angry because they see the wealth and they cannot afford uh, to live, they can't really afford food or housing, then I think we are in dysfunctional societies and I think we stand at great risk uh, of a backlash against uh, what some have called the metropolitan elites. We have backlash, which I think we saw evident in Brexit in Britain, which I think is a disaster for Britain. We saw in the support for Trump in the US, which I think is a disaster for the US. And I think we see in the rise of right-wing parties in Germany, in France and elsewhere. So we need to care about people's material conditions. And unless everyone feels they have a vested interest in the future, they are likely to oppose it. So this matters on many dimensions. It matters on climate change. It matters on uh, other areas. So I think inequality does matter. Uh, a little bit of inequality is part of a society. I'm not advocating that everyone gets paid the same uh, or has the same rewards for their professions. But extreme inequality is a very dangerous phenomenon. But a lot of the a lot of the, uh, the support for the initiatives that you don't seem to like, whether it's voting for Donald Trump or uh, voting for Britain to leave uh, the EU, came from outside the city. Isn't your fetishization of the openness and toleration, liberal, liberal progressive nature of the city, isn't that only going to compound the divisions between city and countryside? Well, no, the, the support didn't come from the countryside because um, necessarily a very small share of the population lives in the countryside in advanced economies, you know, typically 5-10%. Uh, people live in other cities, in, in towns, and it's that where the support comes from. Not the main capital towns, not London, uh, not New York, not San Francisco, uh, not Chicago, but other places which feel left behind by the progress. Uh, and that's why what's been called in the UK the levelling up agenda has become so important. So it, it isn't, the support for Brexit was an urban support, but not from London. The support for Trump was an urban support for Trump, but not from coastal cities or dynamic cities. And the question is, what happens to these left behind places? In the past, cities' location was defined by natural resources often being near a coal mine or being near a waterway uh, allowed a manufacturing opportunity. In the new knowledge-based services economy, it's completely different. And so an absolutely crucial question is what do you do with cities that are not uh, growing rapidly where there are no growth prospects, like in the Midwest of the US? And the answer, I think, is partly goes back to what I was just talking about earlier, which is the lack of affordability 
of dynamic cities, the growing inequality within. So if you ask people, as I have done uh, in interviews, why don't you move to where the jobs are in, in um, California or in New York or in London, the answer is either we can't afford to live there, we can't get our kids into uh, school there, we can't get our parents into elderly care there, commuting takes too long, and it's these practical issues which need to be addressed, I think, to overcome those divides. What should the role of the market and government be in terms of addressing this crisis, perhaps, of the cities in association with the environment? Um, Ian, you know as well as I do, there's a great division in terms of whether or not people see capitalism as compatible uh, in a world which successfully addresses our environmental problems, our crisis. Is the market the fix here? Ultimately, you mentioned the market doesn't always work in terms of um, convincing people to move from one place to somewhere else. But in America, for example, people are leaving San Francisco and New York. They're moving to Iowa. They're moving, uh, they're moving to Salt Lake City. They're moving to Atlanta and southern cities. Isn't that really the fix? Well, I, I think the question of capitalism or not capitalism is a complete red herring. Uh, you know, there's no society in the world that's not really capitalist apart from North Korea, and I certainly wouldn't want to live there. I think it's a question of what form of capitalism do you want, uh, and there's a very wide spectrum on different forms of capitalism uh, that one can look at, from highly egalitarian societies like Denmark uh, to highly unequal ones uh, like the US. So uh, I think the, the key question is, what is the form of capitalism? In other words, how much tax and redistribution, how much investment, what is the role of government uh, in all of this? And uh, I think what we've learned, and we, I think the pandemic really reinforced this and demonstrated, is that the Thatcher, Reagan, uh, Cole uh, revolution uh, of the 70s and 80s is over. Uh, we recognize we need government, not least to save us when we have a pandemic. We need government to take the lead very strongly on climate change. This will not be done by the market without very strong signals from government. But governments are also incapable in many ways. They don't have the resources, they don't have the skills, they don't generate jobs. So that's got to come from the private sector. So the question in the end becomes, how much tax are we able to pay? Are we prepared to pay? What resources do government have uh, to invest in new infrastructure which is going to be required? And what are the rules and regulations that are going to nudge us uh, towards societal goals? And, that, and that, that's the detail that really matters and that's being fought over uh, in different countries. My own view is that um, as we get into a riskier world from climate change, from pandemics, from systemic risks of different types, uh, and in a more unequal world, uh, and uh, generative AI is going to accelerate that inequality, we're going to need stronger uh, and more effective governments. Uh, so how you make governments effective and how you make them able to overcome these great divisions and deal with systemic risks is the key question. Uh, Ian, we are talking in, in Munich, Germany, beautiful city, particularly uh, on a warm late summer day. Uh, the mayor gave the opening remarks at, um, at the event today and, and, and everything is sunny in Munich until uh, one researcher suggested that Munich actually 
is a bad environmental place. It wastes a lot. Are there cities for you that are models of the future? You, you mentioned Denmark. People often bring up Denmark on this show. Is Copenhagen the model? Um, are there German cities or perhaps Dutch cities? which provide a signpost to the future, to your, what you call in your new book, the age of the city? I think in some respects, Germany is a model. I mean, what's remarkable about Germany is that there's no really big city. Uh, it's a, it, the distribution, we were talking earlier about divisions between cities and how the world's become more spiky rather than flat um, in recent decades. Uh, and Germany, like Japan, is a much flatter place. In other words, there are lots of different centers of economic activity, of growth, of population, and no very big city that dominates the country. So I think that's a lesson at the macro level. Why it's the case is partly as a result of a terrible history. A lot of places were bombed uh, during the war, and that's true of, uh, of Japan as well. Uh, so not having all your economic activity concentrated in one place, I think, is one key lesson. Parts of cities, I think where Paris is going with the 15-minute city, is something that should be emulated. There's a lot of work going into making uh, Paris more livable in many ways. And there's initiatives in many, many cities around the world, greening initiatives, uh, cities to reduce car use, incentivization for electric vehicles, investments in public transport. Uh, which I think can be taken. So I, I, rather than focusing on one particular place and say it's got it right, I would say let's adopt the best practice from many different cities uh, who are doing things. I always think we should be experimenting with, for example, incentives to create much cheaper public transport uh, as one of the things to do, to encourage people to give up their cars and use it. Finally, in uh, one fix in, in, in San Francisco, or at least amongst investors in Silicon Valley, is to create new cities. Billions of dollars are now being poured into an ideal new city situated in farmlands outside San Francisco. What are your thoughts on that in the age of the city? Is there still room for new cities, or should we be putting our money into old dysfunctional places like San Francisco rather than trying to read to, to, to start? from scratch. Yes, I read with interest about that project um, in, in California. Um, my own view is we should be putting our money into fixing what we have uh, rather than creating new cities. It's very, very, very complex uh, to create a viable city. Uh, cities are living environments, they're partly shaped by their history. Of course, new cities are being created, not least in developing countries. We see uh, the growth of cities in the United Arab Emirates, like Dubai, uh, Abu Dhabi, remarkable over a 50-year period. It's happening in Saudi Arabia as well. But that requires extreme wealth uh, and resources to create uh, what are really very high-income places for professional people. I think to address the needs of our population, uh, we need to make the cities we have work.